Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Did you catch the television dramatization series, The Dropout? Or perhaps you read John Carreyou's articles published in the Wall Street Journal back in 2015 that first raised concern over the company Theranos and were later turned into an excellent book on the company, its rise and ultimate fall and prosecution of the leaders of that company. It's compelling stuff and made for an enjoyable trip down memory lane for me. But at the time, the whole story was one of deep frustration and disappointment. I remember the excitement surrounding the company and its claims of a revolutionary approach to blood testing, using a much smaller sample of blood to carry out the panel of tests that many of us undergo, hopefully on a regular basis as ordered by your primary care physician as part of the management and support of your journey, staying fit and healthy and active. This was the vision I saw with several other companies and technologies. Even at that time, there were real companies and real solutions that did offer the potential to provide results from smaller samples that are easier and less painful to obtain. But many got caught in the Theranos debacle and struggled to get any support or funding. I'll date myself and my personal clinical experiences. I took blood, lots of blood. In fact, it was one of the primary activities we carried out in the hospital as medical students and doctors. The majority of this was venous blood, blood taken from the vein. That's the blood sample most people experience in the anticubital fossa, a term seared into my memory, which like many medical terms has Latin roots and means ditch in front of the elbow. So the crook of the arm. It has lots of superficial veins to choose from and has relatively easy access. For some people, this is not true and the experience of giving blood can be very challenging and painful. I prided myself in my phlebotomy skills. That's a Greek word derived from vein cutting, by the way. And I was also the go-to person, especially in difficult or challenging cases. My special power came in part from the fortune of spending time with a vet, believe it or not, who, as he explained, said animals were not very forgiving if you hurt them, which had happened, and he had many bruises from multiple kicks. Thankfully, there are better pain-limiting or pain-free solutions now, and even specialized teams and technology helping that have improved the experience. But as we discover on the show, like many other things, is something that is not always widely available or evenly distributed. But there are potential solutions, and ones that might offer some of the value and provide a better approach to laboratory testing. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Puriya Sane. He is the CEO of IXLayer. Hi, Puriya. 
Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me here today. So we've got a long storied history of um, healthcare testing, you know, the, the concept specifically around blood uh, originally and the testing of blood and in fact other bodily fluids uh, that we've used in medicine um, that has this, uh, you know, association with hospitals, but that limits us. We're, we're struggling with the capability and we've seen a number of organizations try and move this out into the community and provide better services. Tell us a little bit about the history of this and how we've gotten to this point. Yeah, the, the, uh, there is three phases of a patient journey the way we see it. Uh, right now, we focus on the middle phase, which is you are sick, you go to your doctor, they send you to LabCorp and Quest. But there is a phase before that, which is a lot within preventive care. We have a terminology Nick, we use internally called pre-patient. If you take a patient, you look back in time, six months, 12 months before they get sick, and you have that concept of pre-patient. Uh, is preventive care focused on one single individual? And how we can test that individual more often, identify high-risk patient, get him into care immediately, identify low-medium-risk patient, recommend lifestyle changes, right? So that is the, I would call this phase zero. Phase one is if you're sick, you go into the doctor. And then there is a phase two, once you know that often that you have a chronic condition where you need to be tested ongoing basis. So diabetes is a great example. Oncology is another one. I myself suffer from oh, well, something called Hashimoto, which is a thyroid chronic condition. I need testing every quarter, right? And there, it is very important for this individual that you do not have gaps in their care. Because it, it, it escalates really fast and it becomes really expensive for the payers as well. So that's why it's moving out to be able to support what I call phase zero and phase two of this whole patient journey. I, I love that term pre-patient. I, I, I don't think I've heard that, but I'm gonna uh, use it and uh, repeat it because I think that represents where we're moving to. I think one of the things that really strikes me about this is those phases, I think we recognize very clearly and perhaps did in the past, but we were quite poor at sort of capturing information in especially the pre-phase, but also in the, the post-phase. And that wasn't just true about, um, you know, testing, I, I think, of blood pressure. We did that once a year. If you were lucky with patients, what use is that, that single data point? But you're talking about something else. And everything was centered on the sick care system where we struggle. We've got to get people. There's a better way. How do we do that? And what are you doing to achieve that? Yeah. So if we focus on the pre-patient piece, there's two issues that we see. One of them is that we do not get enough lab testing, right? We do once per year. And if that is at its best, many people missed even that annual checkup. Uh, the other problem that we see is we view lab testing as a snapshot in time, right? This is Nick's result right now, today. We have no idea how it was three months ago, six months ago. And if you go to your doctor, you don't even view it comparing last year to this year's. It's just snapshot in time. So what we need to do is test these individuals more often. We also need to monitor the continuum of lab testing. Uh, that is what we are trying to direct layer change by enabling you know very easy accessible lab testing in the 
brand of our customer. So we do not offer any 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 lab testing to the end patient. We power these or larger organizations to do that. If they have the tool, then the barrier to entry drops, the cost of doing it drops significantly, and hopefully we can go from all sick care to preventive care. But you're talking about pushing people uh, to essentially get more testing, which I think is the appropriate tool. And, you know, obviously coming down in price, you know, doing this economically. But how do you get people into the facility? Because that's one of the primary challenges is, you know, the struggle, particularly in remote settings. But even, you know, for people that live locally, they have to get childcare, all of those things that contribute. How do you do that? Yeah, so we focus a lot in in-home lab testing, both in-home lab testing as in uh, self-collect or what's also called alternative sampling, and also in-home mobile phlebotomy. And there are a lot of issues that you just mentioned, right? There is like 25% of uh, U.S. adults don't have a PCP. And if you want to go the route of, let's say you want to do an STD test right now, you have to go into a doctor, you have to get a rec form, go to LabCorp and Quest and come back to that physician to get your results, right? This is two physician visits, plus a lab cost visit, which all of a sudden explodes in the price cost. But if you could, from all, you know, when you look at consumerization of health right now, if you could go to your local uh, pharmacy store, pick up a STD test, if you are positive, let's get you in because you're sick, you need that sick care. But if you're not, this have cost you, I don't know, $60 and uh, you're off you go. You're, you're comfortable and all's good. I, I'm just going to say, if you if if your cost is $60, I want your insurance plan because that's not been my experience, I'm just going to say. Um, but you're right. There's, you know, the additional cost plus, of course, the um, resource cost of getting to the, the multiple visits. But, you know, the first thing that sort of strikes me and, you know, everybody in the healthcare, uh, uh, you know, world has been sort of impacted is you're talking home, uh, home sampling. And of course, one of the areas that we've seen this was Theranos. And, you know, we saw that implosion. It was overpromised. I think Hollywood has done certainly a, a, a number on people's perceptions. Is this real? How do we approach that? Yeah, so there's a huge difference between what we do and Theranos. And what's really sad with Theranos is we are where we are today because of Theranos. I think this transformation would have happened, you know, five, six pre-COVID, right? Uh, Theranos set us back 10, 15 years. Right. Regulatory and so on. Uh, Theranos was a lab in a little device, right? In a very small device trying to achieve something impossible. What we're doing is that we're collecting the sample in the home and this gets sent to a Kappa CLIA certified lab. So it is, it is covering a really complex operational flow versus creating some machinery that uh, uh, you know, was basically physically impossible. So I want to make sure that that is totally different uh, solutions. Our solutions would have existed today if it wasn't because of Theranos. I, I think that's a great point. And that was certainly my experience. I saw a number of companies that just got sucked into the black hole of, you know, negativity that was inevitable from, you know, that kind of um, 
failure and and subterfuge this is entirely different it, you know it's it's not not only from a technology standpoint but i think the underlying infrastructure and the sort of approach so tell us a little bit about how this works and and what the uh the the mechanisms are so you're you're looking at the focus you're essentially able to do this you talked about um mobile phlebotomy you know so going into the home that's one of the components but obviously getting it out you said go to the local store maybe it's available but obviously this is shipping i mean you could ship this and have people participate so that it just shows up like everything else in our world from amazon right is that what's going on exactly yeah exactly so we have created this end-to-end -end technology that integrates with 40 different services, 27 different labs, physician networks, mobile phlebotomy, kitchen fulfillment, and so forth. And this enables our customers to offer a remote in-home lab testing to their patients. We serve three types of customers, uh, consumer retailers, which CVS is one of them, uh, payer provider, we right now serve three of the largest providers, and also pharma when it comes to decentralized clinical trials. And the goal is that you make the lab testing very easy for the end patient, but the mechanism on the background, the operational is quite complex. We need to be able to send the kit to the individual. We need to create a really nice instructional video of how to self-collect. If you are elderly, if you potentially cannot do this, we will send a mobile phlebotomy to you. We need to then ship this uh, sample back to the lab and we're integrated with the lab network so we know which one is the closest lab for that program. We need to monitor the delay of the shipping shipping uh, routes and so on. Uh, there is a lot of QNS uh, quality uh, monitoring there as well. If it doesn't get to the lab, ship a new kit the whole operational chain. And then in the end, we need to get the result from the lab and often provide it to the patient with additional content, with information. So you do not get a very complex PDF where it's a bunch of numbers that looks like gibberish, right? Um, we want the patient to get the information from a trusted source. Otherwise, what they do is that they look at their number and they go to Dr. Google and start Googling, which leads them to whomever that has the best SEO route, right? And that's, we don't want that. So there's a lot of things that goes into this. We started back in 2018. We're on version four of our own platform. We're constantly improving from a patient experience and UX point of view. And we will continue iterate to get it totally perfect. But you're right. Everything is coming to your home right these days. Yeah, so I, I, I clearly like that. And, you know, the one um, pushback, but maybe you've already answered that, uh, it is, you know, you talk about the elderly and, you know, the challenge. And, you know, we, we all live um, with elderly parents and, you know, want to contribute. And if we're lucky enough, we actually live contextual to them and, you know, can provide, or at least there's somebody there that can. Is there some mechanism to sort of include the family support infrastructure? Because there's a lot of talk about them as an integral part of care. I mean, they're often not considered. Do you have them incorporated into this model? Yeah, so we have guardian oversight within the programs, uh, not just for elderly, but for, uh, for younger children. Uh, COVID stress test 
the hell out of our system, right? And it threw so many different curveballs to us. We have never foreseen, and we were doing this far before COVID, right? Our first test was an Alzheimer test. And we had never foreseen being able to support school testing with consent from parents, as an example, or parking lot testing. Like that was never on our roadmap. So, and at the peak of it, we used to do like 90,000 tests per day during the COVID time for 1,100 different programs. Uh, so that covered a lot that we learned a lot from that, that we can now utilize for different programs. I, I you know, I'm, I, I say this a lot in, in a number of my sort of interviews and shows. It's, it's another of those silver linings that we have from COVID. And I'm always embarrassed to say it because obviously it was a terrible experience. You know, it's, it, it, it created a lot of stress in multiple instances. But once again, some opportunity to really learn and deliver. And, uh, you know, those experiences start to contribute to the overall solutions that we're seeing and now carrying forward. So obviously you, you've stress tested it in volume and in different circumstances. You've got models that sort of approach this. And, you know, I think wellness is about more of the continuous and the screening. And one of the areas that I think, uh, you know, we covered just recently in, in the show, uh, cancers, um, uh, women's cancer, and specifically breast cancer awareness month. We're still struggling with that. This is not a problem that you can, but there are other solutions where potentially you can play a part in allowing for this because i don't think people get up in the morning and say right i'm not doing this i i recognize that there's some resistance to it because we don't want to hear the bad news but we know hearing the bad news earlier means better outcomes how are we how are you approaching that yeah i think lab testing plays oh, such a huge integral in preventive care right if you make lab testing accessible and affordable and easy to use, you solve that problem. Now, there are organizations out there that do a great job, but do it through their own brand, right? Do it through marketing channels and so on. And I'm a big fan of all of them, right? The issue is in the end of the day, the patient would like to get the care through the brands that they know and trust, whether it's their own provider, their own pharmacy and so forth. And the way we solve, to answer your question, Nick, the way we solve this problem is we tell these organizations, hey, here is the tool that you can, you know, really solve this preventive issue with. Why don't you use this tool? Why don't you tiptoe into this market? Because the end patient is asking for it. Like the stats are, are crazy. There is 130 million Americans that have chronic condition today that require lab testing. And there's 60 million that have chronic conditions that don't know about it. Uh, you, you talked about cancer, right? Uh, there is 1.6 million Americans that gets diagnosed with cancer every year. One in three, one in three, that's 33% do not get the recommended screening. Uh, I, I can go on. There's 96 million pre-diabetics in the US. 23% don't get the recommended screening. So there is an issue here, right? And Hopefully, by this tool, these larger organizations, the health providers, the payers, the consumer retailers can solve this. In the end of the day, we are the tool, but we need these organizations to use this tool. 
Yeah, I, I think the brand trust and, you know, the relationship is a key element to this because just getting it from some external, there's not only a trust issue, but there's also an integration issue. And I think if you get it from the relevant uh, uh, delivery system that you know and you're integrated with, you start to sort of want to participate as much as anything. But also there's a convenience issue. And I think what I'm hearing here is essentially this is an it's an easy on ramp for any of these organizations because you essentially take all of that deliver it and allow it to be done economically for both the front end wellness and also the back end because there's a a management issue much like you know once you've been diagnosed that we can actually start to deliver more information you even talk about your own personal experience what's going on on the back end of this? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, and let me throw some stats on you on that and I can tackle a little bit how we solve it. There is a concept called unfilled lab wrecks, which is basically physicians order a lab that never gets filled uh, for many different circumstances, right? The sample uh, collection service is too far from this individual. In, in average, 50% of uh, US adults are working hourly. So it's very expensive to take that hour out of the, their day. Basically 38% of US lab reps goes unfilled, right? And that needs to be solved. That's why, uh, you know, within the health insurance, the payer space, there is a concept called gaps in care. That's why we have gaps in care. As a diabetes patient, you need to get tested four times a year. You only get tested once. And if you do not get enough tested, that will be very expensive for that health insurance as well. So what we do is that we work a lot with the payers to close those gaps. We do in-home visits, including shipping these boxes to the patient's home so that we can do it on their schedule, so that we can do it in an easy white glove manner, reduce that cap, make it very convenient, right? Uh, it's the same as you do no longer go out to you know, regular shop to buy your, I don't know, toothbrush and toothpaste, you order it online. And we need to reach to that point with health testing too. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's exactly right. And you know, I, Amazon and that delivery mechanism existed, people were using it. I don't think to the extent, and in fact, I've, I, I took a picture because it blew my mind in the local UPS return um, store that had, they were knee deep in the returns. That was just one day. It was extraordinary. The system is there and it exists. And this is essentially that, the delivery of um, an easy on-ramp to allow access for both the pre, which is the uh, you know wellness and identification, and the post. Where do you see this going and what are the opportunities? Uh, I, I think within the next five to 10 years, this would be, uh, you know, a household solution that everybody expects. The, the same way as we went from uh, Blockbuster to DVD rental and in the end to Netflix. I, I think that's going to happen regardless uh, within the five to 10 years. If we as an organization, as IX Layer, can reduce the five to 10 years to maybe two to five years, then we have done our job, right? Moving and tipping this industry in the right direction here. 
there's a 14 billion dollar 14 billion lab test non-covid lab test conducted in us it this number should potentially be 21 or 22 billion uh, based on that new lab uh, based on the on-field lab recs and based on what's needed in the preventive care in the pre-patient part so if we can move the timeline a little bit and make it shorter and if we can increase that number i think we have done our job accelerating better care better wellness and pre-screening and indeed follow-up exciting times puria thanks for joining me thank you so much Healthcare is undergoing change, and while that change may not be as fast as we might hope, it is accelerating. And as you've heard, the pandemic certainly brought about more positive change, much of it driven by necessity. While formally we remain in pandemic mode, with the WHO suggesting the end is in sight, there is some indication of pre-pandemic behavior and attitudes returning. Irrespective of where we are relative to the pandemic, Healthcare needs to move to a wellness-based model and one that focuses more attention and capabilities on the pre and post phases of the patient's journey. Screening and identification of disease earlier and the ongoing follow-up and management of disease once it's been identified and treatment commenced. The infrastructure and capabilities exist and as you've heard, the economics of missed opportunities in care and prevention and management of disease and the high rates of tests ordered but never taken are costing lives, health and money. Your better pill to swallow is to accelerate the delivery of wellness, supported by widely available and distributed testing capability that is delivered to the individual at the time and place most convenient to them and their environment. Testing capabilities can and should be adapted to the patients that need it and not the other way around. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.